Well, good morning, Union Chapel. So good to be with you this morning. My name is Christopher Glassback. I have the privilege of serving here on staff. And we are going to continue our series on stewardship. And I think that it is tempting for some of us in the room to hear somebody come up here and talk about stewardship to just think about money. And of course, that is part of it, but stewardship and generosity encompass way more than just our finances. And I've always heard it, and it's been helpful for me as I think through being generous, being generous in three categories, with my time, with my talent, and with my treasure. And I just want to invite you in as we think through generosity, as we think through stewardship, to think through it in that lens and to come into a perspective of what has God given me and how can I use and and leverage the thing that God has given me to give back to God. And so that will be the message title for this morning is giving to God what he gives to us. And I loved how Pastor Greg talked about this last week as he and Beth were driving past the original Union Chapel Church and just became overwhelmed with emotion as they saw the church because it represented them giving away the best years of their life, giving away their time and their talent. And so as we think and as we come into a space of talking about generosity, don't fall into the pit of just thinking about money. It's more holistic than that. And so that will bring us to our text for this morning. It is our custom at Union Chapel to stand at the hearing and receiving of God's word. And so I want to invite you as you're able to do that. We will be in Genesis chapter 28 verses 10 through 22. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. And if you want, you can follow along on the screen behind me. But here it is. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And listen, he became afraid, thinking through, oh my goodness, what have I done or not done that has honored God? And I'm sure that he began to just wreck through his mind and his thoughts about what had happened. And then he came to a place where that became unhelpful, and he pivoted to a spirit and posture of worship. And he simply says in verse 17, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, just meaning house of God, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat, And clothes to wear, if he just will provide all the things, my bare necessities that I need, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. May God inspire us and encourage us and equip us through the hearing of his word, you may be seated. 
I think there are so many things that we can glean from this section of scripture in Genesis 28, but I just want to pull three things to have us wrestle with this morning. And the first is this, that we ought to be asking the Lord to increase our awareness of his presence. And I've put in parentheses, why not God? You see, when we encounter God, when we come into a place where God is present, it will always elicit a response. We see this in Genesis chapter 28, starting in verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He became afraid. And then he, again, he became in the spirit of worship. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. I have the privilege, my wife and I have the privilege of owning a few rentals here in town and uh, uh, I manage all of them and mow the grass for all of them and that becomes monotonous. And one day one of the college students calls me and wanted a break on his rent. And he said, hey man, if I cut the grass and take care of some other projects at the house, will you cut me a break on rent? And so I, we shook on it and, and it became an agreement and he's now a senior, he's about to graduate and it's been a, a great thing for him and for us. And, I was over there just checking him out of his room. He just graduated in December. And something that I said sparked uh, just something that he had forgotten to be giving to me. And he said, man, I have this box of mail that I, over the last four years I've just forgotten to give to you. And now I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what is going on? So he literally like under his bed, he like pulls out this big old box and he hands it to me. And of course, the majority of it was junk mail, and I'm at the house, and it took me like an hour to go through it, and I'm just, I'm just frustrated by this guy's awareness of what I need and what I should be receiving from him. Uh, but as I'm going through it, I see this really official-looking document from the city of Muncie. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And it was dated for August of 2023. So four months before I'm receiving this, you know, it was dated for. And I open it up and it was a citation for tall grass. And this knucklehead college student had not been mowing the grass. You know, he's, a, he's senioritis. That's a real thing, I suppose. And so he's like, I'm not gonna do this. And then it said in the letter, if you do not cut your grass in two weeks, you, we will cut it for you and then we will fine you for it. And if you do not pay the fee, you're gonna start occurring late fees. And I'm thinking, it is December. I wonder how much this could be. Well, they let me know how much it was because it wasn't cut and they cut it. They were very generous to me. And so I am frustrated, as you can imagine, and it's 8.30 now at this point. And, and the first thing that I do when I get frustrated is I, I just want justice. And as I've been spending time with Pastor Greg hours a week, one of his rules is in the heat of the moment, when you get bad news or somebody's challenging you on something, give it 24 hours. Just let it breathe, let it rest, and then respond. Because I wanted to call this guy and be like, hey man, you owe us X amount of dollars, you're paying it, come over to my house right now. That's what I wanted to do in response. So I began to think about that, and because it was on my mind, I began to pray about it and give it to the Lord. And as I began to pray about that, I just felt God tell me, forgive him and don't make him pay the fee. And I was like, now listen, God, that... <laughs> I tried to tell my wife, she said, I don't, you need to go back and pray because I don't think that's from the Lord. 
And so I'm now wrestling with God about this, about being generous. And I'm like, no, th- this can't be from you. You know, like, th- that. no, I, this guy needs to take responsibility. This was his fault. We shook on it, and we, I've been cutting him a break every month, and he owes me. And I'm wrestling with the Lord. And then just simply, God said, do you trust me? Do you trust me that I want to take care of you, take care of the situation, and so I got on the phone and I called the city of Muncie and it's 8.30 at night. So of course they're not in the office and I leave a voicemail. And a few weeks go by and Christmas is coming up and I haven't heard from them and I'm spending time reading and, and in the word and praying and meditating on different things. And I just felt like God asked me to call the office again. And so I called back to the city of Muncie and again, no one picked up. And so I left another voicemail. And then I go out to lunch with a person in our church, and as I'm driving back on Broadway into our office, I get a call, and it was from a number I didn't have in my phone, and so I pick it up, and it's the city of Muncie. Hey, are you Mr. Glotzbeck, the property owner of so-and-so? And I said, yes. He said, hey, I'm, I'm calling to return your call. I'm calling to return your, your voicemail about this fine, this citation that you received from us. And I was looking at the documentation. I have all the photos of everything that we did, the work that we did. And I'm going to forward that to your email. What's a good email? So I tell him my email, and, and he's, he and I are just talking. And then he just starts complaining about how his computer's acting up. Oh, my computer's being a little slow and finicky. Can I place you on a brief hold? So he puts me on hold, and I'm just, I'm frustrated, but I just begin to pray. Hey, God, just give me patience with this guy, because I, I just want to be kind and courteous, and I gave him my email at unionchapel.com so he knows where I work, you know, those kind of things. So let me be, let me be gracious to this guy. And so... <laughs> So he gets back on the phone. He said, man, you are never going to believe this, but I don't know what happened. I had your documentation in front of me, but this has never happened, but it just is gone. I can't find it. And I don't feel comfortable citing you and sending you a bill to pay for something that I can't prove we did. And so Merry Christmas to you. I'm just going to have to forget about the fee. And he hung up. And uh, I just began to break out. I was like, are you kidding me, God? Like, this is amazing. I began to, like, worship Jesus as I'm driving into the office. And I come into the office. You know, all of us love the Lord as we're working here. And I'm going over and telling everybody, walking into their office, guess what God just did? And you know what was interesting? As I began to do that, that my flesh began to become a little insecure, like, was that really God that did that? What about my charisma? You know, like I'm a funny guy and I'm a good guy and I always ask for good guy discounts. Like I'm a good guy, you're a good guy. Maybe we can work something out. You know, maybe it was me or maybe it was just luck or maybe it was just a power outage that shut down the computer and erased what was in front of him. And so it was interesting that I started to justify what was happening right in front of me. And don't do that. Stop doing that. Why can't it be God? Why can't it be God wanting to provide for you, knowing that things that you need and providing in ways in which you need them? And so the encouragement, the challenge to us is that we ask the Lord to increase our awareness of his presence and then give glory to God because everything that is good comes from God. So if there's a good thing that has happened in your life, just say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for the good thing. In James 1.17, James is the brother of Jesus, and he's writing this. And I hope that you just meditate on this and think about this, but he simply says, every good and perfect gift is from above. It is coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. 
Good things come from God. And when we receive good things, we create this posture of worship, and we should be giving praise and honor and glory back to God. And when we do that, it's interesting what happens. When we begin to praise God and to worship God and to say, thank you, Jesus, it is contagious. That's why we come together every Sunday morning and worship the Lord. That's why we sing songs of praise to God, because there's something contagious. I might not believe it in the moment, but as I'm hearing it, I'm like, you know what? God is good. You know what? God does have good plans for me. You know, God does want to take care of me. And so why not God? Why not the good things in your life? Why can't they be a blessing and a gift from the Lord? The second thing that I want to pull from this text is that God will provide all of your needs. We read about this. We sing about this. Uh, this morning in Philippians 4.19, Philippians is, is this letter, this, just this pastoral gift to the church of Philippi from the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul in the fourth chapter is just talking about how he knows what it is to be in need. He knows what it is to have so much that he doesn't know what to do with it. He can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. That's what he says in Philippians 4.13. But near the end of, of this chapter, he just simply writes, and my God, this pastoral encouragement, and the God that I serve will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God is not stingy. God is generous. And John 3.16, one of the most well-known verses in all of scripture, simply says, for God so loved the world that he gave. God is generous, and he wants to provide for you. He's not worried that he's going to run out of something. And Jacob, we see this in the story in Genesis 28 and verse 20. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. Jacob was saying, hey, listen, God, if you take care of me, if you provide for me, if you get me to the place that I need to go, that I will worship you and I will know that you are God. And I think just a few hundred years later, Jesus arrives to earth and he is starting to pick up momentum and traction with people around and he gives this message in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 called the Sermon on the Mount. And I just, I just believe that as Jesus was just asking the father what he ought to be talking about and what he ought to say, I think he was reminded of Genesis 28. Because I think oftentimes we are trying to make deals with God. Like, God, if you just come through in this moment, then I know that you're real and I will follow you and I'll be right by your side all the time. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, this is actually the posture that we should assume. In Matthew 6, 31 through 34 Jesus simply says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Sounds remnant of Genesis 28. For the pagans, the world, our culture, the people who aren't of the church, who aren't following Jesus, all of these people, they run after these things. And guess what? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So don't run. Don't worry. Don't run after those things. So what do we do? Jesus simply says this in Matthew 6, and 34, and I would just encourage you to not only me like memorize this section of scripture, but meditate on it. Just think about it as you're driving into work. Think about this. What would it look like if we became a people here at Union Chapel who this became our anthem, the thing that we decide we're going to do together collectively as a community? 
And it says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, just the right way of living. And all these things will be given to you as well. For do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is simply saying, listen, don't worry about the things that you need. Guess what? God knows that you need them. He's going to take care of you. What you should do first is seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and everything will be added unto you. And so how do we do this practically? How do we seek first the kingdom of God? Well, first, you need a relationship with God. You can't get to seek the kingdom of God without knowing who God is. And if you don't know who God is, I would encourage you to get to know him. Maybe pick up your Bible and just start reading in the book of John to figure out who Jesus is, who God is. The word becoming flesh, and we get to see who God is through the manifestation of his son, Jesus. Read his word. Know what he might be saying. Jesus is never going to communicate something to you that is contrary to his word. Well, you don't know what is contrary to his word if you're not reading his word. Start to pray. Start having conversation with the Lord. I really believe that Jesus, that the Lord, that God is wanting to speak to all of us in this room. And so many of us don't know how to hear God. In John chapter 10, it says that the sheep, the followers of God, know the shepherd's voice. Here in a few weeks, we're going to be going and taking a deep dive into Psalm 23, and I'm so excited about that, but it talks about the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Well, how do we do that? We do that by being led by the shepherd, to get to know his voice and to understand the things that he might be saying to us, to spend time in his word, to pray. When things come up in my life, the first thing that I do is pray. God, I need you. I need your wisdom. You've brought me this far. Why would you stop now? So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the things that you're worried about, the things that you're overwhelmed by, will be added to you as well. My third and final point this morning is simply this. When you are faithful with little, you will be faithful with much. We have a saying here at Union Chapel that goes like this in the realm of excellence. Excellence honors God and inspires people. Well, I believe that the same is true with generosity. Generosity inspires people and it honors God. When you are generous with your time, with your talents, with your treasure... It will inspire people. It's contagious. When I had first given my life to the Lord, I was just really young. I was six years old. I didn't know what it meant to follow Jesus, who really the Lord was. I did it because my mom was like, if you don't do this, you know, I'm sure that maybe some of you grew up in a Baptist home and felt the wrath of parents who were yelling at you about accepting Jesus. But I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what it meant to follow Jesus. But you know what happened was I I tried to figure it out. I began to read his word. I began to understand what God might be saying and what his voice would sound like. And then I I would feel Jesus say something to me. Hey, you see that person over there who's sitting by themselves? Why don't you go over and sit by them, befriend them? Jesus is looking for people he can trust. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you might not feel equipped. You might not feel talented. You might not feel like you have enough to give, but I've given you just enough. What are you going to do with it? 
the little bit of time that you have, the little bit of margin that you have, what are you going to do with it? The energy that you have, what are you going to do with it? God is looking for people he can trust. And so as I began to be generous with the little that I had, the little knowledge that I had, I just felt like the Lord was starting to give me more, give me more responsibility in different areas of my life. And and you see, we find this to be true in Scripture, throughout Scripture. This is like the bedrock of generosity. Listen to this in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout. I memorized it, for the eyes of God are going to and fro the earth, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And I just imagine God looking for people like you, like me, and just giving us a little bit and saying, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to honor this? How are you going to honor God? Are you going to be generous with it? Or are you going to be stingy? Are you going to hoard it? Because if generosity is contagious, the inverse is also true, that our greed And our frustration with things is also contagious. And this has been something that the Lord has just challenged me in so much in my life. From the beginning of my public ministry, when I graduated from Ball State, you guys know this story, but I jumped into support-based ministry, meaning that I had to raise 100% of my income. And so I remember going down and getting trained on how to raise support how to become a minister, all these things. I'm going through this training. And the first thing that they tell you is go to people that would be easy to talk to, people that love you and you know are going to support you, and get the easy ones out of the way so you can get practice. And then go to people that you might not know so well. And so the first support appointment that I had after getting back from training was with my parents and my mom and adopted father. And I sat down at the kitchen table and I gave them my presentation. And the, the things that we asked for, they're threefold. One of them, of course, was money, which is mind supporting me so that I can do ministry vocationally. The second one was, would you pray for me? And the last one, would you get me connected to people? And I remember my mom and dad, we were going through the list of people, and it felt like an exhaustive list. I mean, I think they gave me 60, 70 names, but I just wasn't satisfied with that. So I started asking about specific people that they knew. And there was this one woman who was my mom's best friend. And my mom, she ran an in-home daycare. And this woman was over like a few times a week, sometimes every day of the week. And they would always be hanging out. And I said, what about so-and-so? And my mom said, no, you, you know, you, you don't really understand. They're, they're really struggling financially. And they have five kiddos. And they're kind of living paycheck to paycheck. I don't think that it would be good if you asked them. So like, don't embarrass me. Don't reach out to them. They know what you're doing. And if they want to support you, they'll reach out. I said, okay, you know, that's a, an acceptable answer. So I began to spend time with the Lord, of course, and just praying over the list of people that my parents had given me. And this, the, this couple, they just kept coming into my mind. And so I put the list aside, and I just began to pray for this couple. And I felt like the Lord was just saying, would you reach out to them? And now I'm in this conundrum, you know? My parents just asked me not to do this, but now I feel like God is doing this. Like, what is going on? And so the more I began to pray, the more sure I became that I should reach out to them. So I got on the phone and I I called this couple and I asked them if they would be interested in just hearing what I was doing in ministry. I said, oh yeah, your parents told us about that. We're so excited for you, Christopher. You know, we love you. And sure, we'd love to hang out with you and get together just to hear more about what the ministry you're involved with. And so we set them an appointment for that Thursday. 
And that was that at this Arby's down the road from our houses. And the thing that you need to know about where I'm from, I'm not from a very affluent area. My monthly gift that I received from people was $26 a month. It wasn't too impressive. And I remember going and pulling up to this Arby's. I got there 15 minutes early. And I would do that occasionally just to pray for the appointment that I was stepping into and praying for the family. And so I'm sitting there and I'm praying for this couple and this van starts pulling up toward the Arby's. And I was kind of afraid of it. I mean, it was like different colors. It had uh, dents all over it. I mean, it was a beater. And it pulls up. I thought that they were going to like run into my car. Like I was about to move. And they park and I see. I was like, oh no, it's the couple. You know, and I'm like, oh no. And I'm getting embarrassed. I'm like, I can't. I can't do this. I'm thinking about driving home and being like, hey, I'm sick. I'm sorry I can't come in to this meeting. But I just felt like the Lord saying, no, I want you to do this. And so as I'm waiting in my car and I'm in this spirit of prayer, I see him get out of his car. He walks around and he opens up the door for his wife. And I thought, that's so beautiful. You know, like chivalry isn't dead. This is so good. And so I get into the Arby's and that's the first thing that I said to him. I was like, man, you are such a gentleman. He said, no, Christopher, you don't understand. My wife can't open the door from the inside. The handle's not there. So I always have to like, oh, it's not because I want to. It's because I have to. The Lord works in miraculous ways. So we joked about that and we laughed about that. And 99 out of 100 times, you know, I'm in support-based ministry. The couple that I would be meeting with would almost always pay for my meal. And, and as we're in line about to order at this Arby's, uh, he does this number. Oh, forgot my pocketbook, you know, and I'm, I'm there, you know, I just graduated college and I, I don't have any money. I'm like, oh no, I, I got you guys. And so we order our meal and we sit down and I'm just, I'm thinking, God, you're crazy. You know, like, why am I doing this? I, I, I can't be asking these people for money. Uh, and I just felt like, again, God's saying, will you be faithful? Will you be faithful with what I'm calling you into? And so I go through the presentation and I get to the end of it and I said, hey, well, there are three ways that you could partner with me. And I was just so tempted. I wanted to just jump over the financial ask, but I just dove in. I said, okay, God, I'm going to be faithful with this. And, and I said, well, hey, you know, we can't do this alone. We're in need of people to partner with us financially. Would you and your husband want to join my ministry team? I paused for a moment, let everything settle. And they looked at each other, and their eyes began to fill up with tears. And I'm just thinking, oh, man, like, they're going to just communicate. Well, yeah, we'd love that, but we just aren't in a place to do that. And they said, you know, Christopher, on our way over here, my husband and I, we were just praying about what we might do for you, what God might be asking us to do. And we want to give you $160. And I was like, oh my, oh my gosh, you know, like, thank you so much. This is so generous. And I'm tempted to be like, I don't need this money. You know, like, you can, you can have it back. But I just felt like the Lord was just asking me just to receive it, just to say thank you and to move on. And so I'm going on and on just about their generosity, and it just puts it in perspective for me. And I'm just saying, so, so thankful for your gift, and here's how you can donate, and here's how you can sign up to give that gift. And I kept using the word gift, like a one-time thing. And she interrupted me. She said, Christopher, no, you don't understand. I want to give you $160 a month. And now I'm like really feeling bad. I'm like, no, no, no. Listen, like I'm going to be fine. I have people that I'm connected with. We're going to be just fine. She said, no, you don't understand. God told me to do this for you. 
and it was beautiful. It was so good, and, and they joined my support team. The next morning, I, I saw it ding up on my account, and, and they started giving faithfully, $160 a month, every month, for five and a half years. And we would stay connected, and I would tell them about the ministry that we were doing at Ball State and the people that we were reaching and the lives that were being transformed, and they were so excited. And then I gave her a call when I felt the need from Jesus to transition from Ball State here to Union Chapel, and I really didn't know what was going on. And I just gave her a call. I was calling all my supporters, and I was telling her about the transition and about how I was stepping off staff at the church, and she just gave out this sigh. But it wasn't a sigh of relief. It wasn't like, oh my goodness, like, thank you, we're going to get this $160 a month back. It was a sigh of, like, disappointment. And I remember asking her about it. I said, what, what was that about? And she said, you don't understand the gift that we gave. We don't know how it was coming. Every month, we didn't know. I would look at my bank account, and we knew that we would support you on the 15th of every month. And I don't know how we were going to get that money but I knew that God asked me to give it to you. And every month, the Lord would just increase our faith. And we were so blessed to be generous to you. And this couple that didn't have anything, they were like one of my top supporters. I mean, just so generous. And so I just asked her, I said, how, how did you do it? How did you do it? How, every month, how, how was that possible? And she said this to me. She said, because Jesus asked us to. And when Jesus asks you to do something, he will provide for the thing that he's asking for. And then on the phone, she just said, Christopher, as you're stepping into this new role, will you always do what Jesus asked you to do? How could I tell this woman no? You know, for the last five and a half years, she had just been beyond generous, just giving what God had told her to give. And again, our temptation to hear the story about a treasure is to just hear and, and hear me saying money. You don't understand. It, no, it's, it's way more than money. Stewardship is about just giving to God what he's given to you. And so maybe as you begin to pray and ask God what he might be asking you to do, because I really believe my challenge, my heart for you is as you walk out of this room, not just to walk out of this room, but to be walking out of this room with trying to find the answer of what God is asking you to do. Because God is asking all of us to do something. When we come into a place and worship the Lord, it will always elicit a response. And so what is God asking you to do? I don't know. I'm imagining that there are 800 different answers to that question in this room this morning. 800 different people who are going to be hearing a different message from the Lord, and he's speaking to you individually. He's saying, hey, I want you to pick up the phone and I want you to make this call. And I want you to say this thing to this person. Hey, I want you to forgive so-and-so. I want you to call this person and offer them this, your time, your talent, your treasure. I don't know what it is, but I do know that God is asking you to do something. And my challenge is from my friends who challenged me in the same way. Will you do whatever God is asking you to do? Will you do it? Let us pray. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you. We thank you that you are a good and gracious father. 
that everything good comes from you. I love what you say in the 16th Psalm. Lord, you're good, and apart from you, we have no good thing. God, help us to rely on you. God, I pray for us in this room that our awareness of your presence would increase, that we would start giving you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, because you are worthy of it all. God, would we acknowledge that you are a provider. You're Jehovah Jireh. You provide for us in ways we don't even understand your provision. And God, I pray that as we receive the little bit that we receive, that we would be faithful with it so we would be faithful with the more, with much. Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful. So God, I pray that you would soften the hearts of people in this room, that they would receive from you, that they'd hear from you. Would you start to tune our ears to hear what you might be saying to us? And would you give us the courage and the boldness to step out into faith to do whatever you were asking us to be good stewards of? And that's your name we pray. Amen.